On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Somewhere Else, Happiness is the Road, and Sounds That Can't Be Made. Hi, welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode, I'm once again joined by my very good friends, Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter. This episode sees us covering the next three albums in the Marillion catalog after Marbles, namely Somewhere Else, Happiness is the Road, and sounds that can't be made. All right, so shall we get started, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah this is probably... This is probably going to be my, uh, you're probably going to edit out most of what I have to say um, during this <laughs> session. I'm going to, I'm going to probably do a lot more listening um, okay. because I'm, I, I've, I'm fearful to say before we start that I'm the least familiar with these, uh, these records that we've, uh, that we're about to discuss. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious myself um, to see how this really goes, but it's all good. Um, yeah, so we'll start, obviously, with, with Somewhere Else, which uh, was released in 2006, produced by Michael Hunter, and apparently distributed on Intact Records. By I, now the, what? <laughs> I, I object to the notion this was released in 2006, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe that our first sampling of this was in uh, at the Marillion weekend, which was clearly in 07. And then uh, we ordered, we had to buy it or get it afterwards. So I, maybe it was a separate release in the, in the U S but I believe this, this album was released in 2007. That's about all I know about these albums. That's, that's it, huh? That well, is just about it. My um, my notes may be wrong. I've got a couple of, of goobers up in this already. 2007, Paul. April 9th, 2007. It was there recorded. It, is. it was recorded in 2006. That's probably where I copied it from. Hmm. Got it. My bad. Released in 2007. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. We we did because it hadn't come out yet, right? Right. Um, they were giving us samplings of it at the uh, at the Merlin weekend, and and in fact, here we go. Somewhere else is the 14th studio album by the British neo progressive rock band Merlin. It was released by the band's own label, Intact Records, in the UK. Produced by Michael Hunter, the album was recorded during 2006 at the Racket Club in Buckinghamshire, except the track Faith, written and recorded the previous year. And the reason I know that is, I don't know if you recall, but when we were at the Marillion weekend, I bought a, like a soccer type jersey that has the number 14 on it. Because that was, that was the big ah. thing. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. 
Now, Remember how tall the German, the German people were at that at the at the Marillion weekend? Oh yes. I I I have told people, including my sons, stories about the amount of alcohol consumed by both the Germans and the Scots at that weekend. Yeah. It was uh, impressive on all fronts. And actually, that is going to come into play in a very weird, stupid way when we get to sounds that can't be made. Um, but anyway, so somewhere else, besides being the name of a black car or a white car release, um, <laughs> which I had it first, by the way. I just want to put that out there. There it is. Cease and desist. I remember when this album came out, and I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> That's what I called mine. But um, so this followed up with from, from Marbles. And if I recall correctly, they didn't do any sort of super duper pre order or anything else. They had made enough money off us from, from Marbles, I guess, that they were, and the Marillion Weekends, which were fairly new when we did it, weren't they? It was the first one, it was the inaugural was the weekend that we went to. Well, we did it right. So I, I guess think that Mar Marbles was also dramatically successful compared to everything that had really been happening, you know, since a long time. They had charting singles and they toured in North America. And so I think they were just overall, you know, I figured, I guess they just figured they could just pony one up themselves for this yeah. one. So um, I, I remember it coming out and I remember. Because it, it obviously it it must have come out what about a month after after we were in Holland. So I got it right away, and it you know it it was never. I had no reason to expect another Marvels, you know. I mean, who uh, who could really? And. It took me a little while to kind of get my brain around it um, because, you know, here again, in, in typical Marillion fashion, um, one of the things that stood out for me, it, it was just in terms of the production because, again, Marbles was, was just fantastic on so many levels from the songwriting to the production value, the way it sounded, everything. It was just, it was perfect. It was wonderful. You couldn't ask for anything more. And this was decidedly a step back in terms of that. Again, it's almost it was it was like radiation all over again in terms of that. You're like, oh Jesus, you know, you have to kind of get past almost what it sounds like in order to get into it. Um, it's aged better than that, you know, for me. But you know, it it, it wasn't marbles, but it wasn't well, it wasn't dot com either. <laughs> Not that dot com's that bad. But, uh, you know, that was that was sort of my impression at the time. And it was one of those things where I had not listened to this album for a really, really long time, years, um, when we started this. And when I put this, you know, basically I had come to really, really like this album for my own reasons. And when I put it in having not listened to it in so long, it was like, oh yeah, I really do like this album, but I, I hadn't listened to it in so long. So that was kind of nice to, to get back into it. Um, 
you know, and you know, just looking at the the track list, it, it's such a it's such a late phase Marillion album, though. Um, you know, I think the other half is is beautiful. See it like a baby is you know kind of interesting. Thank you, whoever you are, is spectacular. Most toys. It's one of those Marillion songs that you know if you think about it intellectually, you're like, wow, it's really kind of stupid. But <laughs> it's not bad listening to it, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, you've got that uh, that kind of thing, and I. I, I wanted to look at the date on this because if I remember correctly, somewhere else has sort of this feel about it's got something to do with like alien abduction or something, doesn't it? Like, doesn't really? the guy get... Yeah. I, I want to say the guy ends up like leaving Earth with aliens and everyone he knows is somewhere else because he's not on the planet anymore. I want to say that's what it's about. And... Huh. There's there's a track oh, okay. on on calling all stations that has something to do with along the very same lines. I don't know if if they were near about the same time or if there was some sort of big alien abduction going on among you know English progressive groups at the time. I I, I don't know, but I find it uh, I find it interesting that that's uh, yeah just that's just an uh, alien afternoon right on the. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'm more familiar with the Calling All Stations album than I am even with somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so I, I just I find that interesting. A voice from the past, I think, is is wonderful. Um, the rest of this, you know, no such thing. Last century for man and faith. You know, I, I don't have any strong feelings either way. I do find the wound to be particularly powerful if I'm in the mood for it. I don't know that I always am, but, um, you know. I have an interesting um, take on, on The Wound. I think it's the last in a, a hidden series. Um, I often speculated that there was this alter ego band happening, Um and some of the really power 80s rock songs like Cover My Eyes, it was actually a different band. It was just like this alternative personality of, you know, Hogmar. <laughs> it was this, this thing happening, this creeping thing. And, and you can find that song, I don't know, here and there. There's at least one of them on Brave. And, you know, there's at least one on every album. This, like, really, like, 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 just identifiable guitar heavy riffy kind of 80s metal band happening and and the wound is finally where all that stuff went to die (laughs) 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 it's just it's it's still like it's still Hmm. a little bit of that it's still a little bit of that 80s rock influence but kind of in the more resigned like okay okay it's a little slower tempo and it just all settles down at that point. And, and so, would most toys be by that same band? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the alter ego band. Yes, yes. The alter ego band. That would what, what, be interesting. We could, we could, we could do a um, a Spotify list of all of those songs. 
Oh, easy. You know, oh, you that know. would be fun. <laughs> Ken, Ken, get on that, man. That would be great. <laughs> you know, sure. and, and as we put this out, and and you know, one of the, that's one of the things I need to to get clarity on um, as I start to record the intros and outros to this, which social medias we want to use. But you know, I'm thinking we can put links to these playlists on our various social media sites as well. Give people some sort of interaction. Let them play along at home. There you go. Very good. I like it. My my uh, experience this go around with somewhere else. I it it had such a powerful place because I'd missed the whole marbles thing as I talked about last time. And I had become such a fan of marbles and I got to experience that coming together around marbles, you know, in Holland for the for the Merlion weekend. And they played a couple of tracks off of somewhere else. And it was just it was su it's such a powerful memory for me. And I was so excited when that when the when the C D arrived and listening to it in my car and and uh, and and I really it was like there there were a lot of albums during that time that were by bands that I really liked that weren't anywhere near as good as their previous records, but I wanted to like them so much that you know I listened to them and I like I found three or four songs that I really liked and I just played and then like a couple months later I just kind of came to the realization okay this isn't as good as the last one and I just kind of moved on that took me like one listen this go around to to kind of go through all of those emotions um with uh with somewhere else and then to just long for more of um of marbles <laughs> you know in in a sense marbles was almost cruel that way because you know as we've talked about we had, we had become accustomed to a certain sort of you know level and then Marbles comes out and totally just pegs the needle. And then they go back. And you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to follow up stuff. You know, like it's so be interesting to find, you know, the, the, the band that's had something that good and then followed up with something as good, if not, if not better. So I was thinking about that. And, and again, sort of projecting ahead. Um, and it was, it was an interesting sort of stream of consciousness that got me to this place. But I had started thinking about this band and sort of the, the personnel continuity, which really is, you know, almost unprecedented until you think, oh, well, wait, Rush never had any. And that got me well after the too. first after the first album. Okay, after the first album, but I mean, <laughs> they're you know they were longer together, and yeah. it got me thinking about you know how how they went through their sort of three album series, but really up until, and, and I don't want to start all the controversy prematurely up until Hold Your Fire. You know, I would say, what, from A Farewell to Kings to hold your, to um, at least Grace Under Pressure, every one of those albums is just stellar. 
I think you can include Power Windows and Hold Your Fire in that. In that, those two I, albums. I'll, are I'll, I'll include Power Windows. I don't know if I'm going to put Hold Your Fire. Oh, well, okay. Let's not get. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is, I think they're probably, you know, I I think I think they are completely anomalous in that regard because part of the other mental exercise that I went through while I got there and, and really what got me along the lines was I was thinking a lot about yes and how they did the same thing. They would have sort of a masterpiece. They would, you know, muddle along. They would have some sort of alignment of the planets, have another masterpiece and they would muddle along. And, you know, it, it, Certainly, they had a lot more personnel issues and, and everything else, but it. I, I'm just. I'm. I was curious by, you know, what are the circumstances by which a marbles arises, and is it, you know, is it just a, a naturally cyclic thing, um, you know, and and as we get into this, you know, we, you know, does does a band sort of go through some sort of transition? And either they have a different relationship with each other or they're, they're trying new things or they're listening to new things and they sort of go in a different direction. And it takes them so many, you know, albums or, or years or whatever before it all crystallizes into that fantastic moment. And then they look for something else to do when they go somewhere. You know, is, is that what does it? But so that, that's kind of where I was thinking in terms of, of this progression, but of course, like I said, Rush kind of screws that up, but they may just be completely freaks. I don't know. But it, it is interesting because as we were, as we were getting ready to, to do this one, you know, we had, regardless of what Tom says, you know, we had this, this peak with Brave, and I would argue Afraid of Sunlight is probably close, we had the lean years, we had marbles, then we had a few more lean years, and everyone here seems to be, we haven't gotten there yet, really, really big on fear. And so, you know, there again, you got this three, four album series, and then something really worth paying attention to. I just, I find it interesting that that seems to occur. I mean, what do, what do you guys think about that? Um, this, uh, for me, this theory that you're getting into, I, yeah. I, I, ca I call it the pretty hate machine. <laughs> okay. Does that ring a bell? It's like, what does it take to get a pretty hate machine? Um, right. Uh, 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 so, I mean, I guess... I always assumed it was a breakup album um, without even knowing much about it or reading much about it. But it, 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 regardless of specifics, it's just at least one of the artists, you know, who contributes has to go through uh, a life phase or a crisis or something to get art. I mean, I th that's the way I interpret it. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, and Paul, were you and I talking about this at some point? 
how, or maybe it was on here, I don't even remember. It, it's, it all kind of comes together. But this idea of, you know, as you, well, in fact, we were talking about this when it was, we were talking about the business model. And I don't know. Once, once you're, the argument we made there, though, was once you're comfortable, you can be creative. But now what we're saying is you need to have some sort of emotional upheaval well, to be creative. So, yeah, so I th that's interesting. And I, 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 Ken's point is really um, provocative because, you know, very often, I mean, we've said in, across our lives, from great pain um, comes great art. And um, I don't know that that for for some great joy can create great art too, but it doesn't seem to be as frequent as um, or as uh, as powerful, at least in my experience. Um, but that is one of the things that you know the this exercise that we've gone through listening to all of these has really brought to the forefront in my in my mind, and, and I think it really applies to. You know, when you talk about like the the band Rush, is that it, it's the these these guys are creative forces, right? The the band Marillion, Steve Hogarth, is a a creative force to be reckoned with. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. If you like walk into you know Steve Hogarth's basement or studio, wherever he whatever he does, that he could probably sit down at a piano and and play you twenty things that he's working on that are like all over the place because he's he is a creative powerhouse and i think you know you you come together and however it is that something like marbles comes together that you know it's done they go and tour for like a year however long and as a fan we're just like oh my gosh could it get any better and all they really are thinking about is we just need to go in and create and you know maybe it's not going to be marbles but we need to go in and, and make uh, you know, some sort of creation. And I have given very little thought to somewhere else, admittedly, even through this exercise, I haven't given it much thought, but given almost no thought to my initial listenings years ago of happiness is the road and sounds that cannot be made or sounds that can't be made. And, and in this exercise, I have come, even though I really, I, I can honestly say I cannot speak to those those records with the same type of authority that I have with many other of the Marillion albums that we've listened to, like I've learned to appreciate them in such a different way, similar to how when I first got into Rush and I popped in Power Windows, I was like, what the hell is this? I don't know. This is like, <laughs> like where's the freaking guitar in this song, right? And yet, as time has gone on, Power Windows is one of my favorite Rush albums of all time. And and so, like, I think it's just the fact that the need to create continues and whatever, whatever branch it takes, wherever direction it takes you, um, if, if there is some sort of painful thing that, that happens or there's some sort of emotion that, that peaks through that makes one album seem to rise above the rest, what, whatever it is, I think it's that constant need to create and the constant fact that these guys do create that puts them in that situation where, you know, maybe two or three albums are eh, and then boom, they, they nail one, right? Because they're just always doing it. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I, 
there's so much in there that I find just fascinating and, and really sort of ties in with, with my thinking of this segment, certainly. Um, but I, I want to take a, a step back because I think, you know, as you as you described it here, this this sort of need to just create whatever that entails that was that was my feeling although i didn't articulate it the way you did clearly for you know the the salvage.com era you know they they were just they were making albums i don't know if they knew what they were making but they were just making them and I, I told you guys in some texts that as, you know, because I was like you, Paul, with the exception of somewhere else, um, you know, I, I pre-ordered Happiness is the Road. I have Happiness is the Road. And I never, never got it. I probably listened to it three times between when it came out and a month ago when I started prepping for this episode. Honestly, I just never even considered it because I didn't get it. And for me, it was sounds that can't be made. Like I said, that was the key for me to sort of figuring this out. So I'll be, I'll be interested when we get there, sort of hopefully at least give my perspective on, on how I think this series of albums plays into to what you're talking about, but but yeah, I'm with you. I I with the exception of somewhere else, which I got, but I at the same time I always sort of accepted the fact that it wasn't marbles. But these other and, and like I didn't even have sounds that can't be made. I I I honestly couldn't even tell you when it came out. I, I didn't know anything about it, and it was, you know, it was one of those things. I remember when we saw them back in November, and they played those two songs from it, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, I'm <laughs> and, with you. I felt, I felt bad, and, and especially after getting the, you know, the album, and, and like I said, for me, it was just kind of like, oh, I get it now, which I hadn't before, so I thought that was kind of cool. And ironically, two two of the most well produced, uh, sonically produced albums in the whole collection, and and they somehow escaped our attention. Right. Well, and and so Ken, if if you don't have anything else on somewhere else at this point, let's move. Well, on I, I will I, I will say that um, surprisingly, I, I, I'm a late comer on most Marillion albums, but for somewhere else. I was on board. Uh, I was inspired by the show that we saw, uh, the uh, uh, Marbles tour. I thought, what the heck? And uh, I had it as background music for a long time, such that when we did this exercise, I was amazed at how many words and melodies I knew. And it <laughs> it, it, it kind of reeled me in. And it's, it's not... Uh, an amazing album. It's not a hits album. It's not an anthem album. I don't know what to do with it. They probably don't know what to do with it. But it does, you know, fill a place. It's kind of melodic. Uh, uh, after that, I stopped buying albums. So <laughs> I stopped buying CDs. 
<laughs> so you know, <laughs> uh, uh, but but yeah, I got that one in real time. I was interested in what they were up to at that at that it, point in my life. It, it it is melodic, Ken. I think it, it's not necessarily catchy melodic, but it is melodic, which yeah. you know, I like it, and and it has a certain feel to it. It's it's for the most part, I think it's pretty somber, which likely explains why I like it. <laughs> sure. Cynical. Cynical Joe music. Um Yeah, so so let's let's move quickly on, on to happiness and, and like I said, we'll we'll bring all this back together. But happiness I think is going to tie in to to Paul what you were discussing. So this was released in 2008, I guess, produced by Michael Hunter and Marillion, released on Intact and EMI, I guess, depending on which place you were in. Happiness is the Road is Marillion's 15th studio album, released as two separate album-length volumes, respectively titled Essence and The Hard Shoulder. The overall playing time is 110 minutes, 116, including a hidden track taking it to double album length. According to the band, the album combines their rock sound with, quote, elements of pop, dub, and soul and is influenced by artists as diverse as the Beach Boys and Marvin Gaye to Interpol, The Doors, Traffic, Pink Floyd, and David Bowie. This album also sees Marillion experimenting with a host of new instruments, including dulcimers, glockenspiels, a harmonium, French horns, and even sleigh bells, a harp, and zither. See, I would have. I, I thought for sure they used the Glockenspiel on in uh, Marvel on Invisible Man. But uh, I guess I not. Don't, I don't know. I guess that I was just no, not not a Glockenspiel. I'm sorry, a hammer dulcimer. I thought they used the hammer dulcimer in in uh, Invisible Man, but that that doesn't really matter. Never mind. The title track "Happiness Is the Road" was inspired by Eckhart Tolle's book "The Power of Now." The album's artwork was created by the Spanish artist Antonio Sejas in cooperation with Marillion's longtime designer, Carl Glover. Now, I didn't print it out or copy it over, but in the, the Wikipedia description of this album, they talk about the hard shoulder, or disc two, was supposed to be this album. And they had recorded the album, and I think they were probably either mixing it or had it mixed and they started to write all this other stuff really yeah wow. and all the other stuff turned into essence or the which is much day. better well, i agree exactly that's the fascinating part about it so you know they they had the album they were going to release and i guess they were you know needing to create and it must have been a good season or whatnot and Blamo, they come up with this this second album, and and you know they wind up with this double album set, which yeah. You know, I don't. So I don't I don't even know how to attack this because mm. I, I'm almost of the opinion that I want to go through the hard shoulder first, since that was supposed to be the album. Uh, yeah. And, I don't really know it that well. I just know that that the man from the planet Marzipan turns me off, and it's hard for me to get engaged thereafter. 
Yeah. Really? That turned you off? Yeah. I dig it. <laughs> I dig it a lot. And it's, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I've done, especially during this section, is, is play a game that I like to now call Spot the Mantra. Because throughout all of these albums, Hogarth apparently can't stop himself from the mantra section. So, and, and I count I count as a mantra any time he says the same phrase three times in a row or more. I, I and, love it, Joe, because ever since Ken brought that up, I've, I've, I've experienced the same thing. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep. <laughs> There's the mantra. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's like, you know, I now sort of recognize it as what I'll call a Hogarth gimmick. But even now that I've recognized it for what it is, I still love it. I, I, it's almost like I enjoy it more for entirely different reasons than I would have before we had this conversation. So I think that's fantastic. But um, the man from Planet Marzipan is an excellent example of a very good mantra. So... So Thunderfly, you know, and, and in fact, I just listened to this, these two albums today, and I've listened, like I said, I've listened to this album more in the last month than I have in the however many years it's been out. Thunderfly, honestly, just, it doesn't really do much for me either way, you know, it's just how I feel. I do like The, the Man from Planet Mars of Pan. I find Asylum Satellite number one to be fascinating simply on guitar sound alone. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, this is different. I haven't heard this before. So I'll go with that. Um, older Than Me, eh, Throw Me Out, I think is interesting. Um, there's there's a lot of, of songs in this album that seem to have a lot to do with relationship disintegration which and and in typical hogarth fashion and and this is one of the things that i like about him is he's able to communicate sort of that this is going to sound totally cliche that that sort of pain and that heartache and that recognition of what's going on but he does it in such a way that, you know, you sort of, no one's to blame necessarily. You know, he, he it's, it, it's, it's almost palatable. And it's, it's honestly just sad, not because one person is getting screwed or anything like that, but he, he's able to present almost the, the mundane way in which relationships kind of you know, dissipate, which I find that to be very, very moving. Um, half the world, whatever is wrong with you, just really kicks my ass. And then especially true and, and real tears for sale, you know, they're okay. But again, uh, you know, I agree with you guys. It, you know, if they had released just this in and of itself, I don't know that you know, that this would would fare any better in our discussion than, 
you know, radiation or dot com um, personally. And, you know, it may be one of those things where I bet you could probably pick and choose from these two, these two discs and put together, you know, a killer one. Um, which actually reminds me to take a step back and totally just derail us for a minute. I did go and I purchased Marillion or a marbles from iTunes. So I would have it on my phone. And, and the reason why I wanted it on my phone is one of my cars has Bluetooth stereo. And so I wanted to listen to it and it was easier to do that than it was to somehow get my CD into iTunes and onto my phone and everything else. But the only way you can buy that is the single CD version. So Paul, I got to experience marbles the way you have always experienced marbles, and I you're perfect. Don't, don't get me wrong; the, the the two CD set is freaking awesome. But that one CD lineup, wow, that's really something. Right, right, right. right. So, and, uh, go ahead, Ken. And they could have done that with happiness. I, I think they could have, and, and um. I, I think if they hadn't. If the if the hard shoulder hadn't been as advanced as it was as it was described in in this in this article, I think they maybe would have done that. But I suspect, and obviously I don't know, I don't hang out with them and, and talk to them and everything else. I suspect if they had that album all but done, and they were sort of attached to it as it was, for good or for ill. Then it, you know, it was probably one of those things where they're like, "Screw it, we'll just put all this stuff on a second CD." I don't know. Huh. Now it's interesting, and, and I'm actually kind of glad that I I, I rip, roped us back into Marbles because when we go into Essence, then it starts with Dreamy Street, and I made the point when we talked about Marbles that the Marbles songs themselves were spectacularly successful in what they were trying to do. Dreamy Street is an example of what those could have been on a lesser album. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I, you know, Paul, to your point, I'm sure Steve was, was, you know, had, was very attached to Dreamy Street and it really meant something to him. But for me, it's just, you know, it's two minutes of my life. I'm not going to get back. <laughs> hmm. But it does then roll right into the. This train is my life, which I really like. Um, oh, I definitely have a little bit there. Uh, uh, but but continue through the um, and I'll, I'll just give my two cents on this train. Okay, um, the, which rolls into essence. Um, wrapped up in time, liquidity oddly kind of resonates with me for some reason. I haven't quite figured that out. Nothing fills the hole um, is one of those things where I can kind of, I can totally get that. Um, you guys apparently have a lot to say about Woke Up. Um, trip the Spark and A State of Mind. Honestly, at this point, I don't know that I can say much about them. Um, 
But I have, I, I will also say, though, that I have been singing Happiness is the Road sporadically ever since I started listening to these, these, this album. And it was funny, one of the first times that I was listening to it in prep for this, I, I was... You know, I hadn't I hadn't gotten sounds yet, so I hadn't really figured a lot of this out. And I was I was driving to work, and happiness was on, and I knew it was happiness, and I was excited for the chorus, and I ended up making sort of a joke to myself because you don't get the chorus until like five and a half minutes into the song, <laughs> and it's like. You know, you've got this great chorus and it takes you longer than most songs to even get to it, which just. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I found that to be kind of humorous as I was driving to work that day. I but, go through uh, that with a lot of Marillion songs. Uh, 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 you know, you, you, you know that there's this amazing chestnut, but yeah, it's, it's a good five, six minutes away and you just got to you're in for the ride. <laughs> All right, so Ken, take us back to uh, to train. Oh, um, I just bundled together. This train is my life. Happiness is the road, and the levers <laughs> from, <laughs> from fear. And they're like the road songs. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure they have a few others in the repertoire, but um, uh, you know, I think. This train is my life. Uh, gets stuck in my head. I love it. I like the message. I like how it comes out. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily even need the lyric sheet. The little bit that I absorb listening to it is, you know, already inspiring. Um, happiness is the road. You know, gets stuck in my head as well. That chorus is so far into the tune. Um, and then it's like, and then. Hogarth finally mastered this, you know, I'm a touring musician, we're a touring band, when he got into the Believers. It's like, oh, wow, you really found a way to articulate your uh, you, 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 your team, your band, and, and the crew, and the whole lifestyle, and this whole thing that moves. And then he went, he went beyond, you know, just the live show and he in, in the levers he takes you you know home and how yeah. bored he is at home it's just it's just wonderful you know you know uh, 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 not all artists have a career so long that they can reflect on the implications of what they do for a living so 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 these songs are a true joy for me just just, just start you know starting it starts with uh, this train is my life for me yeah, I wonder and, if, it was all, if it all started with eighty days from this strange engine. Ah, oh, was that about touring as well? Yep one one could say. Um, awesome stuff, Ken. I I um, you know the levers. Just I uh, it it just crushes. It's so great, and you're right it on. Really yeah, and I don't, but I don't think I've ever like listened as astutely to like happiness is the road, and this train is my life. The way you're describing it, it makes me really want to go back and and uh, you know 
screw the headphones on a little tighter on those on those songs. Uh, Essence is brilliant. Um, it took me a while to get into that. Um, and then, you know, the Marvin Gaye influence would probably be Nothing Fills the Hole, and they just did such a great job with it. And they stayed true to the genre by keeping it, you know, three minutes and 20 seconds long. Uh, so that, that, that 60s soul singing, you know, makes me feel pretty good. Uh, and then Woke Up, um, you know... Uh, so Paul, we talked about this, but 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 they they stay true to it's more of Americana progressive than it is Brit progressive, but they're it's like they did woke up and started it as just a, a very Americana progressive, and then it turns into an Indian raga at the end. <laughs> so so yeah. I I I I'll leave that one to you but 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 it's definitely within your compositional realm where where, where you know the the, the the tempo is very inspiring without getting too fast and it's got you know the the the, um, the distorted chords kind of creating the texture but you simultaneously have the arpeggios on another guitar to give it right. that momentum and, th and that's that's a style that you always adapted you know well, so this this is this song is hysterical. So, you know, uh, oddly enough, when I hear the song, you know, I I feel like um, this is Marillion doing a King's X cover. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you know, and you know, the guitar chords and the and, and the thing that that they do brilliantly is like each verse they they change the you know the voicing. It's not that same guitar throughout. They change to keyboards and. And they take the choruses into these different places, like you said. But the 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 thing that is that is just crazy is like because of that, like this song just like like shoots an arrow through my heart, right? When I when um and and as I was getting into you know listening to this, you know I had listened to some of it at work, you know, on headphones, uh, mostly. Um, uh, the hard shoulder, which strikes me as it, that sounds like some sort of breakfast uh, breakfast plate. The hard <laughs> shoulder, you know. <laughs> but but um, you know, and that that's really difficult for me to 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 get into. Um, and listening to Essence, that you know, to me, the production is so much better than so much else that we've listened to, and we've talked yeah. about. And I listened to it, and and for whatever reason, when I was listening to it this go around, it was always late at night. I was always sitting in bed, and I was always falling asleep very very shortly after I began listening. So it really, it really, I had a tough time starting to acclimate it to the to the recording. And one of these nights, I had fallen asleep, and you know, where there's this swell and Hogarth, you know, whispers, woke me up and the song starts like in that brief silence. That's when I woke up and the <laughs> song started and it's like, I'm listening to this and I'm like, is this Marillion playing? <laughs> and, and like, I had this like out of body experience and I was like, oh my gosh. And then, and then I looked at my phone to see what the song was called. And it was called woke up. <laughs> 
(laughs) 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 And so my entire listening experience has been totally distracted by that song because I kind of, no matter, it's like you said, Ken, it's like, it's like 25 minutes into the disc. Like I'm just waiting for that, for that part to come and, um, and everything that comes after. So, so, uh, it's been very distracting to me overall trying to, to grab that. But I, but that is a song that I, I sing to myself all day long walking around at work and everywhere else just humming woke up it's, it's um it's definitely my favorite at this point nice nice that that is interesting now so so you know here again you guys are are in a, you know a lot more savvy than i am and and can you in terms of, of what we're talking about with this album, you really described sort of the experience that I had and, and the key that for me was sounds that can't be made. And and as we get there, I, I can walk you through exactly sort of what my epiphany was because I, it, you know, I, it takes me a little bit longer to get places sometimes, <laughs> but I, I think it, it bears on, you know, what I discovered or, or the, the thought I had as I was getting into sounds led me exactly to where you are and, and, and all of these different influences and things like that, that they were sort of, they were trying out, trying on whatever you want to say and for me, that's really what this this series of albums is all about, mm-hmm. and and why I think I never really paid any attention at first because it wasn't, in the strictest sense, the Marillion that I was looking for, used to, whatever the case may be, and I I, I don't know that I knew what to do with it, honestly. So. Well, um, we always um, uh, voiced our opinions, our reviews about the music that we listen to, just like we're doing now. We did it when we were young, and we knew that the business was pigeonholing our, our artists. Um, we knew that some of these artists were just stuck. And I, I don't know how far back you want to take it, um, but you know we, we, we had some uh, m- you know metal artists and kind of neo metal artists and some you know techno influences and some grunge influences. But even then, um, just the way that album sales worked, bands were pigeonholing themselves. Their producers were pigeonholing them. And certainly the, the, the labels wouldn't release anything unless they could wrap their fingers around what it was. And right. we, we knew we were being ripped off because there was something fake about that. And what, what we're seeing with, uh, you know, Hogmar, Steve and the crew is just, just, just people growing and being musicians and doing what, what, what we did as, as friends and four-track recording artists <laughs> it's just it's just we, we, we were allowed just to screw off and do different different genres 
and 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 it, it finally got to a level where the pros were allowed to do different genres because they could. <laughs> right, and 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 that that all goes back to the liberation with their their different business model, and you know it allowed them to do whatever it is they wanted to do, and and you know and maybe maybe as a as a younger guy I couldn't I didn't know what to do with it, but but now that I'm older and wiser, and, and like it it, <laughs> it was. It was funny because even even before I got to sounds, like I said, I, I I went into happiness and I went into it with sort of a mental block because I knew that I never got it before and I I knew I was just I was predisposed to not know what to do with it. And so you know, if if you guys are okay, let's let's roll into sounds and I'll tell you my little tale and we can we can take it from there. So this was released apparently in 2012, which, you know, I had other things going on at the time. Produced again by Marillion and Michael Hunter. So while, you know, Michael Hunter maybe didn't didn't start out the greatest with uh, somewhere else. I mean, it's not it's not bad, but, you know, well, he, he got really the drum, did. got the drum sounding good, finally. So that's yeah, good. I. I you know, and Paul, I think you said this. Sounds is is one of the better produced albums that we've had from this band. I think it's it's really good. Um, apparently, the the label is listed as Ear Music, whatever the hell that is. Um, same lineup and track listing is Gaza, Sounds That Can't Be Made, Pour My Love, Power, Montreal, Invisible Ink, Lucky Man, and The Sky Above the Rain. Um, our little synopsis says, Sounds That Can't Be Made is Marillion's 17th studio album, released on 17 September 2012. Besides the standard edition, there is also a deluxe campaign edition containing a bonus DVD with a feature-length documentary called Making Sounds. So, there you go. Huh. So, and, and it's a shame that Tom's not here. Um, and we, we have touched ever so tenuously on Gaza previously. And I'm going to hop over that quickly. <laughs> because there's, there's a lot going on in Gaza. And honestly, again, I knew nothing about sounds that can't be made other than... I want to say those two songs that we heard... Um, in Philly, that was really the only thing I knew. I had bought the CD after our first episode when I had to replace my Fugazi. I bought sounds at the same time, but I didn't listen to it right away because we were preparing for, for other things. And as I was putting together the notes section, I was going through all the Wikipedia pages, and it goes into a little bit about, about Gaza and you know what it is and what they were going for and Hogarth's interpretation and you know there there was just there was a lot of baggage on there and then as I heard it I was like holy cow you know so so we'll we'll get back to Gaza sounds that can't be made for me it's just it, it's 
it's like pudding. It's such a hook. You know, it's so easy to just take that down and go, all right, I'll, uh, I'll do that. And then there's Pour My Love, and Pour My Love turns out to be, for me, the, the pivotal song in all of this. And I, it was one of those things where I love sounds that can't be made, and I, I got to the point where I would put in the disc and I would skip right over Gaza because I, I just I wasn't necessarily able to deal with it all the time. Although Gaza is an excellent example of a, of a mantra song. Yes, at the end. Yes. So I would, I would go right to sounds that can't be made because the hook's really easy and I can take it. And Pour My Love started to sort of grow on me. I didn't get it. And it was one of those things where it, it's like almost getting in there, but not quite. And then Power was my second one. Power, I just freaking love to death. And that's one of the songs that they did at the Keswick. And I just think, I think Power is fantastic. And as I started to, you know, go through Pour My Love to get to Power, there were a couple of things that sort of worked for me. And as I started listening to to the lyrics of the chorus and getting sort of the imagery that Steve was putting across, I was like, that really resonated with me. But I was... The, the, the overall sound of, of, of the song is weird. And as I was trying to sort of come to grips with that, I, I described it to myself as... Marillion doing a late 70s singer-songwriter song, a la Dan Fogelberg or something like that. And that was when the key turned. And it was like, holy shit, that's what they're doing here. They're, they're trying out all of these different things because they can. And as soon as that sort of hit me, I was able to to, for lack of a better term, accept these albums for what they were. And then I went back to happiness and I was like, oh, this makes much more sense to me. And so it was, it was like I said, it, for me, it was, it was that section of three songs that helped me sort of figure all of this out. And I just, it was, it was a really, really fun journey of discovery that I didn't necessarily expect with this band at this late stage in life and everything else. So I just thought it was interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I can add a little bit there and but keep, yeah, keep, keep going. Well, keep, keep, keep going. Do, do you want to just plow through the album? Yeah. So I'll, I'll plow through the album. Now Montreal is, is fascinating. It's, it was very easy, obviously, to figure out sort of what Montreal was, was about, even before spending a lot of time and figuring it out. And, and basically, the more time I've spent with Montreal, the more I have fallen in love with that song. Really? Um, yeah. I, I just think there's, there's so much about that song. And, and initially, it was... It was because it was about Montreal and, you know, one of the weekends there. 
and you know the the experience that Paul and I had in Montreal. Um, it was, I mean, it was spectacular. The next thing that got me about that was it, it's a perfect example of of Steve Hogarth's lyrics where he takes he takes a word with multiple meanings and he works through those different meanings throughout the different sections of the song, which I just, you know, for whatever reason, that really works for me. And so the more time I spent with Montreal, um, the more I was, I was just fascinated with it. And there's, there's a really, really funny story about some of the lyrics that I got completely wrong. Um, hmm. And we'll get to that when we get to maybe the lighter section of this. Invisible Ink um, and, and Lucky Man, you know, I think Lucky Man is another one of those let's try something new out type of songs. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to me because I, I find myself in the first part of Lucky Man going, what am I doing here? And then by the time they bring it all together at the end, you're like, oh, shit, this is what I'm doing here. And then... The sky above the rain, I just, I find that imagery in and of itself just to be particularly beautiful. So that was, <laughs> that was, well, I, you know, I, oh, I just, it, it resonated with me very, very quickly. So that was sort of how I, I put all of this together, um, you know, as I sort of figured it out. And then, I mean, Gaza, I get, but I still... I still feel it's a bit heavy at times, just on subject matter alone. And it, honestly, I think there's there's a lot in terms of that that needs to sort of be cogitated on. And I I find myself often just being lazy and not wanting my to take my brain into those places. And that's why I will skip Gaza more often than not. Gaza is um, amazing, and it makes me think of the New Kings. It makes me other think of other um, long-form pieces. And I think some of this writing process is beyond Prague and Neo-Prague. I, I, it, it's almost a little bit like literary where they come up with an idea they come up with a roadmap and they just do it and it's 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 more like theater sometimes at the end or poetry than it is about the music because if it was about music they would be condensing it and editing it and you know boiling it down like we said happiness could have been boiled down and at this point in their career that's not what they're doing they're just they're just <laughs> Laying it all out there. And, 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 you know, I think they should have used the, you know, there's an amazing five part in Gaza that gets me pumped. And then after that, there's like an amazing seven part that gets me pumped. And at the end is the mantra, you know, about, you know, the nightmare that rose up. Um, uh, and they all get me pumped, but in the middle, it's it's just freeform art almost, um, and it's amazing 
that they do it live. Um, you know, it impresses me that they remember these long, these long pieces and they can do them. Um, uh, sound, sounds was, was the one that I knew the least. And I, I knew about Gaza from YouTube and I knew about sounds that can't be made from YouTube and everything else is brand new to me. Um, Montreal so far, it's just pure schlock. It's just, um, it's just a letter to my, it's a letter to my fans. Thanks for hosting us in Montreal or thanks for us hosting you in Montreal. Um, maybe one of these days it'll, it'll click and I'll get it. I didn't include that with the levers or this train is my life because it's not the same emotional appeal, not to shame journey. Montreal is, is more of a a movie or a, a short form story or something. It, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't disagree with you at all. Montreal is in a lot of ways. It's just, it's a shameless, straightforward representation. Um, and, and I, I get that and, and I hear exactly what you're saying, but for me having been, in Montreal and having the experience that I had there, I just, I have to, I have mm-hmm. to give over. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Um, is it possible that power is the revenge of the alter ego band or is it something way better than that? I think it's way better than that because I, you know, the, the alter ego band, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and every time I listen to one of those those songs, it's kind of like, you know, you almost feel a little bit dirty for even listening to it. Um, and there's there's always a portion of that that while I will listen to the songs and I will appreciate them for what they are, I'm always a little bit annoyed by them. Yeah. Power, does, power doesn't do that to me at all. I think power is just spectacular. Okay. Okay. Um, given that they're exploring different genres, it's okay. But Lucky Man is just the kind of country that I avoid. <laughs> so I, it hasn't clicked for me yet. But uh, Sky it, above. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I listen to Lucky Man and I'm like, what am I doing? And yet I find myself singing the chorus, you know, not not as often as happiness is the road, but I do find myself, you know, that getting stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And sky above the rain. I, 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 I it's new to me, but it's pure brilliance. Um, uh, Paul, do you want, want to weigh in on any of these, any of these really hit you? So, um, yeah, so I was uh, completely unfamiliar with, um, with this and having it, um, not having a, the copy of the CD and, and being able to just let it play um, the way my Dropbox seems to work is I can play one song at a time and then I have to go back and start the next song. Um, there, there, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh in on very little here, but um, something that is has been on my mind about Marillion for a long time, and I've shared a little bit of this with Joe in the past. So... The thing that's so cool about this is like Gaza is when when I put that song on the very first time listening to this record 
it occurred to me immediately, like, this is something I've never, ever heard from Marillion. Never heard anything like this before. And I think it w- it, it's so cool just in that aspect. And the fact that they made it first on their on the on the record is just it, it, it's it's a, everything that I love about the band, and um, and it, and as I was listening to this and listening to these uh, these these albums, I took the Ken Gregory approach. I took a lesson from Ken in our last episode, where you know Ken mentioned he just listens to one song over and over and over again, <laughs> and. So that's kind of the approach, which which made it really difficult because there was so much material that I really needed to become familiar with, and um, it didn't really it didn't really work out for me to really get close with a lot of this. But one of the things that I think has come to light over these records, and um, I've mentioned it a lot when you know when I've talked to Joe about fear, is some of a couple of the what i would call marillion tricks of the song structures begin to rear their their heads um there there is this tendency that they have to just statically go to a minor derivation of whatever key they're in i don't know if it's the relative minor or if it's just the the same chord but it goes into the minor but it's this move that um, and I really, I, they do it in Gaza, they do it in a couple of other places. It just becomes a very Marillion-esque style to just yeah. be going along. And I'm, and I'm, you're listening to these beautiful melodies and lyrics that Hogarth is yeah. creating. And then, boom, it's like minor key. Here we go. Um, we're going down the hill of the roller coaster. And, um, and, and throughout this process... They they've done a really good job of documenting like online updates of uh, we're recording our new album and this is what we're doing and it's really great and and it you know we're all getting the ideas and and um and uh, Mark is doing such a great job of keeping the ideas and rearranging them and everything and and um and I can't help but think that sometimes they just get to two ideas and. They don't really either want to spend the time to figure out how to bridge one to the other, or they just decide, okay, we'll just stop right here and then just start the next idea. <laughs> and and that it's really apparent in in um, in uh, fear. It's 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 one of the things I I like least about what what happens in fear, even though I really like that album. And I and I think that that stuff kind of permeates through these these records. So. That's that's really distracting to me. And aside from that, I don't I don't really have really much else to add other than it sounds wonderful. There are, there are things that we've never heard, even though we start to hear these these tricks, if you will, or these tendencies that they have that I think is probably more more related to their working environment than it is their creative style. Hmm. Um, you know, we um, did our time. Uh, Paul, you, you know, um, you studied music and, you know, I studied music just differently in college. And we've we, 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 we put in our time in choirs. We know just a little bit about what it takes to make these epic choral 
things happen as 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 students and performers, um, and there like are certain things that happen. Uh, just 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 repetition, uh, thematic things that that we expect from our classical music, and 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 th- there is a resistance, I think, in the Marillion camp to go full. Bach or full Handel or full Mozart or just 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 bring in these you know crazy themes and variations on themes. It's like it's like you know yes went in that direction, but real yeah. Mer- Merlin puts the brakes on. They're like okay, we have the theme, we're gonna do it, and then when we stop doing it, we we can only go back to it once if we go back to it at all. So what you're saying is basically they come up with these ideas and the rock ethic is no do the idea do it really well and get out of it and go on to the next thing <laughs> yeah but it leaves yeah, you I, I, you know like i feel like you know in you know and and this is going it, misplaced childhood clutching at straws and brave some of the transitions between songs to and and you know and some of us have criticized them for lengthy instrumental parts that seemingly have nothing to do with anything and yet you know to me it's magical that they can musically go from one place to another and transition and i feel like they've kind of left that behind them to your point ken doing one idea we're just nailing it and boom we end it and we're just going on to the next thing it's rock and roll like let's just do it and you know there's parts of me that wishes they would spend a little bit more time. The other thing is dynamically, I, it, it leaves me confusion, and I and I don't mean to jump ahead, but the levers, the one thing that, that kind of bothers me about the levers is it's up and it's down, and then it's back to the solo, and then it's down again, and it's a little bit of a verse, and then it's a, and and like there's there's some, to me there's just a little bit that's lost there. I wish. I wish dynamically it flowed a little bit better rather than just like off up and down these cliffs, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, it's a good segue to what Joe discussed as, you know, may, maybe we would explore some yes after this. So, uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, m- maybe Neo progressive is holding on to the rock roots as opposed to progressive, which is being just, full bore crazy classical <laughs> yeah maybe that is what maybe that's what neo-progressive means i've never really understood yeah 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 love it yeah 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 um i'm um, um, uh, uh, so all right if you're gonna if you're gonna do the transitions thing you know i, I just have to jump back to our conversation um when we talked about this strange engine you know i see it as a scrapbook and it, you're flipping through it in each section as a flip. And, you know, to one listener, that's cool. And to the next listener, wow, that's really jarring. And, yeah. And, and, and they, they got away with it in Strange Engine, and they took it as a license to do it all of, of the place in the rest of their career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny you should bring that up about fear, because I was listening to fear today as well. And that... That struck me again today. It has struck me before about fear, this sort of lack of transition. It's like, okay, next thing. And and but I think overall fear fear is strong enough that it overcomes a lot of that. 
um, you know, that while it's jarring, you can sort of accept it for, for what it is. Um, so I want to I want to very quickly talk about my funny story about Montreal. Just, you know, again, as I'm and, and in a lot of ways, this was I discovered this album in the way that we discovered albums back when we were teenagers in that. I literally just spent a lot of time listening to to, you know, obviously this small group of albums, but I spent most of my time with sounds and I didn't know it. Um, and it was fun to sort of start to figure out what the songs were about, um, you know, and, and where they were going and, and what they were trying to say and and see where the 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 recurring themes were and everything like that. It was it was really very refreshing to sort of have that experience. And 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 Montreal was was hilarious in that, you know, again, it's very quickly it's it's obvious that it's about you know one of these weekends and you know again i i became fixated you know one of the first things i picked up was was this idea of of falling into montreal and whether it's it's the approach of the airplane or you know at the end they bring in a, a trapeze artist and you know all of that sort of multiple level of symbolism very very cool but there's a mantra part in Montreal. Now, again, I'm deep into playing Spot the Mantra. And it it's it's a fun one. Because at at this point, I'm I'm sort of piecing together my experiences in in Montreal as well as in Holland. And one of you know, there there was the the Holland thing. You know, when we stayed there, we got the the full immersion into the into the culture and everything else. And so, what I thought the mantra was in Montreal was, and in the sports in the sports bar, has the the Itaki never rest. And I thought the Ataki was like some Asian subset of crazy Marillion fans. Like, do you remember, was it the Norwegians, Paul, in, in Holland, who had like the, the mythical parties that you had to be invited to that went like all night long? I want to say it was the Norwegians. And, and so as I'm, as I'm sort of trying to tease out, Thor, please sit down. As I'm trying to tease out what's going on, and I was thinking about my experience in Holland, and and again, these there were these parties that we never got invited to, obviously, that would go on all night, and and so I was anticipating, you know, I was projecting that onto this, and you know, I thought, oh, that's that's fun, I like it, you know, there are these crazy people down in the sports bar who never end, and before this episode i'm like i better go check the lyrics just to be certain and i was entirely wrong (laughs) about (laughs) what the mantra is the mantra is actually and in the sports bar the ice hockey never ends (laughs) Ah. so in fact he's just being annoyed that there's always ice hockey showing in in montreal which is a lot less fun 
than than what I originally thought of. So sometimes I'll change the words just so I can have a little bit more fun. Like it. Mm. I heard that on the way to work this morning. Stuck in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so that's you know, so that sounds, and like I said, the sounds kind of opened up, you know, the rest of this, and it and it kind of put, and even though somewhere else was something I had gotten originally, again, these three albums sort of, you know, they're they're another bridging section in between sort of the high points, and there are some some sort of common themes and some similarities between them in, in terms of what apparently, you know, my interpretation, what the band was trying to do and, um, and everything else. And, you know, much like we made the points before that there were certain things that sort of presaged marbles. I think there are there are aspects in here that presage fear in a lot of ways as well. And and I think both of you guys touched on on some of that a little bit. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We uh, have certainly enjoyed being able to have these discussions and share them with you. Progressive Palaver is available on both iTunes as well as Google Play. And we are available on social media. Should you wish to share your thoughts or comments with us, we would love to hear from you. We are on Facebook at Progressive Palaver, as well as Instagram, also Progressive Palaver. And we do have an email if you'd like to send us extended thoughts, and that would be progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. We very much look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Progressive Palaver, where we will discuss Marillion's most recent album, Fear.